Welcome back to the Undrafted Podcast, episode, uh, what episode is this? This is six, I think. It's five or six. I, don't, I feel bad for forgetting. Um, today is Thursday, April the 2nd, and uh, I have a new guest with me, Alan Sharfstein, all the way from uh, London, England. How are you? Not bad. Thank you for having me, Jai. It's a pleasure. It's this, a pleasure. This is, uh, I've been... I've been following this ever so slightly, but uh, I told you the first time when I when you when you sent me the link of the first episode, I had this huge smile on my face because I was like, "What a what an exciting moment for for <laughs> someone I used to go to school with finally doing something kind of incredible." I don't know, got me really excited. Thank you, thank, so, you. thank you. Much appreciated. You're a loyal fan. Um, <laughs> obviously, there's a there's a lot going on right now. Twenty twenty not been our year. Um, as you know, everyone's sort of accepted that now. Um, so I wanted to get your opinion on uh, the COVID-19. And I thought, you know, you live in London and uh, it's a different experience to what maybe we're having here in the States or in Canada. So just daily life in general, how's it going over there? Yeah, so um, I think I think the best way to do this is uh, is to present it in a sort of timeline because the... The situation is so fluid that no static description will really do it justice. Um, and over the past, I'd say, two weeks, there's been somewhat of a cataclysmic shift in the way people behave, which I think mm-hmm. has been pretty central to tackling this whole crisis. Um, in the first you know, couple days when the epicenter was still uh, in Italy, uh, southern Europe, I think people generally took it a lot less seriously than, than, than they should have been. And, I, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's very easy to, to point fingers. And, you know, none of this is sort of new information. Um, but I think once the government started taking steps, uh, you know, restricting everyday movements, imposing basic social distancing, I think once uh, that initial panic buying uh began, people started realizing the severity of the situation. Very quickly, there was a change of attitudes from this is a mild flu to this is um, a fairly deadly uh, uh, disease, which without proper um, uh, healthcare infrastructure can, can, can damage the economy and damage um, people's health. So within that two-week period, we've seen decreases in, in you know, people walking in the park, people respecting social distancing, so sticking to groups of two, staying within two meters away from each other, or staying in excess of two meters away from each other. Yeah. Uh, Anybody who heard that, just uh, edit that bit out now. And and yeah, so in that sense, I'm I'm very happy to see people are finally taking it seriously. Um, And I think that in time, the the fruits of of this labor will will be realized, Um, but it's just about maintaining that for, for... you know, the next six to 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a, a national uh, stay at home order yet here in the States. I don't know if we will. Right. I think there's roughly like 10 States, I think that haven't put their own. Um, uh-huh. I know it's like 90% of the population is living within a stay at home order right now. Wow. Um, but the deaths just reached a uh, thousand over 24 hours, just the last yeah. 24 hours. And 500 was in New York, so, you know, it's getting pretty bad. Allegedly, we're, uh, according to the experts, still, like, two weeks, a little less than two weeks out from the apex, um, which is kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, they said there might be days where it's north of, like, 2,500 deaths, and I don't know. Like, you have to stay at home. You have to follow 
you know, what the government's telling you to do. And uh, hope for the best. I, I don't know. Like, there's not much yeah. more we can do. It's a good point. I mean, you know, it, it's so, yeah, you make a good point that it's so uncertain. But um, I think, yeah, so following what the government is, is saying, and I know that sounds, that could that could sound naive to the untrained eye, but part of, part of uh, dealing with epidemics, from at least from, from what I've understood, is getting everyone on board collectively. Because mm-hmm. if you have, yeah. you know, few agents uh, who are disobeying the orders, you can really quickly create a, a cluster. And so, you know, that's what, you know, I was mentioning before with, with those attitude changes. And as you say, maybe, I don't know, if maybe those 10 states uh, who, haven't, um, who haven't imposed those orders yet, they could be, for all we know, they could be catalyzing something a lot worse. So I hope, you know, I hope people will sort of, you know, fall in line. Uh, yeah. Dominoes won't fall. Yeah, and I know there's like 25% of the people who have it here don't show any symptoms, so they don't even know they have it. Uh, that's part of the worst thing about the COVID-19 uh, virus is that it just spreads without people even knowing they have it or they're spreading it. And I guess that's part of the issue at the beginning, maybe a couple of weeks ago, is that no one really knew what to expect and it kind of hit us out of nowhere. And suddenly yeah. just everything shut down. And do you by any chance, do you know anybody who has it? Any family members, friends, friends of friends? Um... Sort of, not personally to me, but maybe to my my mom or my sister. They know a few people. Right. Um, right. But then you read these horror stories online. The people who like have it really bad, and yeah, the way they describe it, it just sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's it it's just. I think that's what. So you know, for for those listening, so my my father, he's sixty seven years old, and you know the fact that I might be asymptotic going out mm-hmm. in the street and bringing it back, that's a real concern. Um, and I, so every so often I listened to CNBC and uh, there was a, uh, there, there was an investor um, and also slight brackets. I, I, I study finance. I'm fairly uh, intertwined with, with the financial landscape. And this guy, his name is, is Bill Ackman. Um, he's been in, in the news for a variety of different things, but he, he gave a call to CNBC and he was talking about uh, the, the portfolio strategies that he was taking um, to counteract COVID-19. And it just, it sort of snowballed into this very emotional interview about protecting family. Uh, and I, it just, it kind of rattled me a little bit because it showed me how, how deeply this was affecting people that seemed to be uh, untouchable. Yeah. Um, so on, a, on some level, it's a really personal thing because mm-hmm. it can catch anybody and they won't know it until that that moment where it might be too late so yeah yeah in terms of the uh the economy i know just this morning i was watching cnn and they reported there was six million people who filed for unemployment in the last week um it's so bad it's the worst it's ever been and it, yeah. this has all happened again i'm gonna say it again but like it's all happened in the span of two weeks just out of nowhere um i mean i'll defer to you on this you're the finance expert uh but i don't like what do you see happening here is there any way so, yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm going to refrain from making predictions because uh, at a time like this, uh, nobody, not even the most veritable uh, um, sources can really uh, claim to understand the dynamics that are happening in the economy because they have never played out like this before. And I stress that tremendously. Yeah. Not in the Great Depression, not in the financial crisis of 2008, have we seen such sharp declines in asset prices 
such sharp rises in, in unemployment. Um, you know, to give you an idea, to put this in perspective, in 2008, it took about 18 months, so about a year and a half for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, one of the leading indexes in, in, in the U.S. financial system, to shed 30% of its value. Uh, we managed to do that uh, this year in one and a half months. So this thing really took people by storm. And, and it's worth chuckling, honestly, because it, it just it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, in terms of an outlook in, in the most generic sense, you know, a, a recession at this point is inevitable. The duration of that recession is unknown. Um, it's likely to be uh, severe in, in, the, in, the, in the short term sense, but how protracted it is, you know, that really depends on how quickly the consumer rebounds. Um, I think the market is extremely information sensitive right now and it's, it's acting, you know, very irrationally as it usually does in times of crisis, but catalysts for, you know, a potential recovery might be uh, a premature antiviral, uh, the expansion of testing capabilities, which allow us to coexist with the virus and allow people mm -hmm. to get back to work. Um, and I guess the, the, the debate that there should be, uh, it, it should exist in a healthy sense is, when can we think about restarting? And I know um, Donald Trump raised that, that, that question and, and he was criticized for it. And you know, fair enough, there, there is definitely a moral, um, a moral debate, but it's a fair question to, to raise because um, unemployment, depression, uh, even, even recession can, can damage American families, um, global families uh, in ways that coronavirus can't. So there are myriad factors on people's minds right now, which is what makes it so difficult to read um, and what makes it not really worthwhile to read. So it's just sort of, you know, take, take things day by day, yeah. conserve your cash, be prudent about spending, um, and hopefully, you know, I, I fundamentally am an optimist. I think there is a post-viral economy somewhere out there, and I really hope we'll find it soon enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, there has to be. It's not like, yeah. the world's not going to end, but, um, you know, we have to do everything we can to try and get there. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy because we're, the, you know, our generation, you know, has never faced something quite like that. I don't even, no generation alive today really has faced something like this. So yeah. the playbook for the future is being written as we speak, which is crazy to me. Like, I, part I, I don't know how we're going to look back on this and I don't know, not even like in the next 10 years, looking back on this time. Exactly. It's going to be really weird to reflect on at least. Um, yeah. Completely. Is there, is there some sort of outlook for the UK specifically on when things might be back up and running or? So, um, again, you, I would take everything with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they expect the virus to peak in a matter of weeks. Uh, yeah. you know, on a similar, though slightly accelerated timeline compared to the United States, in the sense that we're maybe a couple weeks ahead, two weeks ahead. Um, I have heard um, that before any degree of normality, of true normality, it could be about six months. Which is not absurd to me. Um, it, that, that that seems fairly in line with um, with university estimates. So the Imperial College report that was published um, a little while back, yeah, that drove yeah. some of the American. That policy. was the big one. Yeah, that was the big one. 
Um, so I, I guess if I had to say internally, I'm operating on a sort of a six month timeline. So, you know, I, I'm not preparing myself. I haven't, uh, obviously definitely not booked any trips. You can't even if you wanted to. Um, and I'm only expecting things to get back to normal once the university begins in September, October. So yeah, I would say conservatively that's six months is is more or less the, the best case scenario. Speaking of university, how's the uh, the shift been from going to class versus everything from home? I'd ask you the same as well um, after I get my test. I'm wondering if we have similar experiences, but so in some ways it's actually a lot better because mm-hmm. you just save much uh, much more time from commuting. Um, you know, you no yeah. longer have to take the central line uh, every morning. Uh, it's crowded. It's icky, sweaty. Uh, you know you can sort of plan classes whenever is most optimal for you. LSE already had a bunch of infrastructure and lecture halls for, um, for recording classes and things like that. Um, so it's not been terrible. Uh, Zoom is hysterical. <laughs> it's such a Zoom meme. might be the big winner from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zoom and there's this other one, which I've house party. I'm sure everyone's probably heard. I have of heard of house party. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's quite a it's it's a quirky app. Um, I I have fun on it. I've heard some rumors about its security, so I I I am cautious about that. But Zoom by far is the funniest thing because you're you know you're in the middle of a class and then somebody starts memeing on the chat and the teacher has absolutely no idea what's going on. And this is like a you know tenured professor, so they are they are miles into their own sort of. Uh, yeah, you know, they're not happy. Lesson, <laughs> so that that's that's pretty funny. It makes me makes me laugh at least. It, unfortunately, my classes just finished last week, so no more of that. But uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to if it's still on next year, then definitely. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. if they have to postpone the start of school in September, I don't know what I'll do myself. <laughs> <laughs> how's it been for you? Like, what? what it's, how um, you with it? Yeah. So we got notification, like uh, March. 14 something like that the classes were canceled for the rest of the year and then they were going to find alternatives to on-campus exams and whatever right. um so i came back here and it's just been i find it's hard to focus on my work at home i don't know if i'm just used to being at school being able to go to the library like i can't even leave the house here to go somewhere else and do work um yeah I keeping agree. track of like due dates for some reason i don't know why that's just difficult because i'm not having the usual schedule of going to class and hearing from my professors and TAs and stuff like that. But yeah, it's whatever. Um, I deal with it now. Yeah. I mean, if it makes you feel better, totally not alone. I completely feel the same way. I mean, I think it's, it's just, it's such a like dramatic break of, of your, of your, of your schedule. So, uh, I don't know. It's the difference between waking up at nine versus thinking you can sleep in because you're at home and you know, there's no, no deadlines to be met. And and that just sets your whole day back. So I've been trying to, to, to slowly, you know, adapt the schedule. Um, I don't think it's, it's worth it to like, you know, from one day to the next, just switch your whole life. I think that's too ambitious unless you're really well disciplined, which I admittedly am not. Um, but I'm hoping, you know, now that classes are done, I have a legitimate, like, incentive to create my own quarantine schedule to just keep myself on track and keep mm-hmm. my my mental health somewhat you know up um 
Damn, that got dark really quick. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> no, we're good. Um, um, yeah. So you live in downtown London. It's a, obviously a big area. How is, like, have you been outside? Have you seen are the streets empty? I don't know. Yeah, man. I, I would say probably maybe 10, 15% of the foot traffic that you'd expect normally. Um, again, it goes back to the whole thing about the static assessment not doing it any justice because it could be 5% tomorrow. It could be 20% tomorrow. I have no idea. I know the parks, which is basic. So once quarantine started, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think I started isolating um, just maybe three or three days, three or four days prior to uh, the lockdown officially being imposed. Um, and yeah, I'd say in the parks, especially, it's quite a lot lower because the parks were usually the main point of congregation. So people would be like, OK, park is fine. There's enough space. I can stay apart. So you see a big mass of people usually playing football or, you know, just walking around. And since then, uh, that's been dramatically cut down. So I think park is a good place to sort of gauge the true, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's lower. It's lower. And I that's imagine good. it's lower there, too. Yeah. All right. Um, sort of last thing on COVID-19 here. Uh, <laughs> just the, as someone who uh, views the world sort of through sports and movies, um, that's been a pretty big area of effect, I guess. Um, it, it's weird because I sort of plan my day, or I used to plan my days around just like watching certain games and things like that. And now it's just like, there's absolutely nothing to watch. Um, and the outlook doesn't look good for a lot of leagues. The leagues are starting to cancel and postpone. Olympics are gone. Uh, Wimbledon's gone. I don't know, were you planning to go to Wimbledon this year? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, last year, uh, I don't know if it's last year the year before I got invited. I think it was last year I got invited, which was really, really fun. Um, don't know if that was on the cards this year, on the table this year, but I guess I was hoping. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It, it's a, yeah, it's a toss-up. Yeah, um, I know the Belgian uh, soccer league. They just canceled their top tier for the rest of the season. They became the first league to do that. So we'll see what happens. It's not looking very good for things like the NBA. And they've discussed yeah. having like finishing out the season in isolated cities or whatever. I don't, like I don't really see that happening. But um, yeah, we'll see how that and goes. And what 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 would you prefer? Would you would you so as a as a sports fan and as a sports pundit? Uh, yeah. What what are the two sides of the debate for you? Um. Obviously, I guess in this situation, you have to think about safety first. Like, this is not something that's going to go away easily, and we have to be really strict to get over this and move to the next stage of life. Um, as a fan, obviously, I would love to see the season finish out uh, for any of those sports leagues. I know the NFL is having their draft in a few weeks. I'm not exactly sure how. Uh, we'll see how that happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, safety first. Like, we can't just start bringing people together again in these mass groups definitely without like no fans whatsoever and even there's tons of players who have it in all sorts of leagues and coaches i i don't think this is happening anytime soon but that's just based off what i hear i meant to that yeah 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 agree. um something else has been affected hollywood film tv everything's been postponed pushed back you can't produce anything right now I, have you been watching anything on netflix anything you binged so I got into a deep depression when they pushed back the James Bond release because I was really looking forward to that, uh, especially because I love Anna Darmas. She's a... that was the uh, that was like the first big movie to go, I think. 
yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of crazy because even in terms of timeline, they could have pushed it back four months or three months. They, they pushed push it back, back to November. November. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's like, like you know, a fairly... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some MI6 intelligence. Um, as far as shows... So I asked why so I, wa- I just started watching uh, the new season of uh, Dirty Money. I just watched the first okay. episode on uh, Wells Fargo. Um, I mean, I won't really go into it, but it, it's a, it's, I think it's a really well-produced series. Um, do you know the thing is... I'm I'm bad with starting new series because I always gravitate to series that I know and love. So I, and I already felt myself kind of falling into the the trap of The Office because oh, I no. saw I, yeah you two recommended me a clip of Dwight Schrute and I you know I made the mistake of clicking on it and then it just snowballed into this pit of best moments, funny moments, Jim pranks. Dude, I can't get out of it now. So I'm I'm on Amazon Prime usually at dinner every night. Going through, plowing through about two or three episodes. <laughs> the YouTube, the YouTube rabbit hole is so easy to fall into. The recommended, oh, it's it's unreal. I'll end up on like and the, the most random videos. Yeah, yeah. The algorithms are so good now. Honestly, they, it's as if like they just. It's not even responsive. It's predictive now. I, and I know that's probably people out there saying, "Well, that's obviously how it works." But I used to have the view that it sort of like responded to what you last viewed and suggested you something similar. Mm. Now it can send you on a completely different tangent, and it's still yeah. just as intriguing, which is like so dangerous because <laughs> my YouTube hours are just going through the roof, and I'm like crying there at night, like, "God damn it! I could have done so much today, but no." <laughs> uh, so it's risky. I was... risky business. I was looking at the uh, the most watched Netflix shows from the past week, so like March twenty first to twenty seventh, and like eight of the top ten were originally produced Netflix shows, which is pretty interesting for Netflix. Yeah, Think what you will about that? Oh my! Um, it was. I'll just read the top ten here. It was Elite number one, which I haven't seen. I don't know. Have you seen it? Never. No. Uh, Stranger Things, Money Heist, Sex Education, Tiger King was number five, which I just started. Have you seen it? I, I, I know, but I'm so, I've just seen the memes now. Joe Exotic this, Joe Exotic that. So I'm, I'm really dying to go into it. I just started the first episode last night. It was so weird. It's like really? I've never, I've never heard about this, and it was crazy. Creepy weird or good weird? Both. Whoa, okay. That's a recipe. That's a recipe. You um, sold me. And then six to ten was Crash Landing on You, The Walking Dead, I'm Not Okay With This, Kingdom, and Breaking Bad. So okay, fairly take what you will about that, yeah. and then the top ten movies. Only three of the ten were uh, Netflix produced. It was Three Idiots, The Dark Knight, Avengers: Infinity War, Inception, Shawshank Redemption, Marriage Story, The Platform, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, <laughs> Spider Man to the Spider Verse, and Train <laughs> to Busan. Spider Man's uh, a weird one. I, I didn't expect that to be up there, but. <laughs> The other ones, okay, fair, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, most fair of them enough. are pretty big blockbuster movies. It's, like, expected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a Netflix show we can talk about, Drive to Survive. <laughs> I, know you, I know you want to talk about this. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. Let's yes, just start yes, with, uh, what were your overall thoughts on season two? Actually, first, for people who don't know, Drive to Survive is the, uh, the F1 documentary that, uh, Netflix does now for this is the second season and so the past two seasons they've followed around uh the teams all around the world and you get some pretty interesting uh unnever like access you just wouldn't get before uh to the teams and their drivers and uh, yeah so what do you think about season two 
So, um, okay, so I think the best way to go about this is to give you the uh, the neophyte's perspective, which is sort of, you know, the untrained fan who just got into this for the first time, and then the, the sort of hardcore, you know, nitty-gritty kind of fan, uh, of which I have been both in my lifetime. Um, so to to the untrained eye, I think it's the production quality is insanely good. I think yeah. they do an amazing job of tying together the narrative, um, you know, creating a story that revolves around not too many drivers because with a season that's almost a year long, you have a lot of idiosyncrasies which may not really be relevant to the to the overarching story. And so I think it, it's actually it's saying something to be able to pick out the most important events and sort of time together in a way that that makes it easy for uh, you know someone new to follow. So I think they've done that tremendously well. I think they've done a lot of good stuff with uh, with sounds um, because motorsport. For those who aren't aware, the thrill of it, um, rather than the skill um, or or the technical innovation, to the typical fan, I think is the is the biggest um, biggest part. Um, you know, maybe if you're an aeronautical engineer, which I'm not, you can appreciate some of the uh, uh, some of the details. Even though Formula One is a huge you know technical sport. Yeah. Um, but what Drive to Survive has been able to capture is is through some uh, admittedly clever editing, uh, they've yeah they've been able to create this aggressive sounding car. Um, you know they've they've played with the background music in in a really nice way. Uh, obvi- I I might be sounding completely dumb right now the way I'm talking about this because I am no way a film producer. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just things that you pick up initially. Um, so that's the that's the new version. The old the sort of nitty gritty fan version is they do a lot of clever editing. Yeah, I'll tell you that much. So for example, if you if you look uh to at the background of the races, so. There's often continuity errors. So in one shot, they'll be panning around Austin, for example, and then uh, the Austin, uh, the, the Circuit of the Americas. And then in another shot, they'll be looking at Autodromo uh, de Alagos, which is in Sao Paulo. Uh, and I mean, so it's, it's funny, obviously, if you're a fan, because you're like, okay, well, we just went yeah. a couple thousand miles. Um, but, you know, I, I think I can forgive that, given the, the target audience of the series. And... I can speak on behalf of most fans out there when people say it's been really well received by everyone in the F1 community, um, mm-hmm. especially for the fact that they've been able to finally get the uh, the big tier teams on board, Mercedes and, and yeah. uh, Ferrari, because they were the, the biggest um, elephants in the from room. season one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they also have the, uh, the Netflix announcer who redubs the commentary for specifically <laughs> for the show. <laughs> And he's talking yeah. about drivers that you just wouldn't be hearing about during the actual race. So yeah, it's yeah, funny yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. It's like some of the most ridiculous commentary. In an actual race, in an actual race, like the whole the the whole commentary is focused on like the three front cars, and that's some of the mm-hmm. biggest complaints that happens is that there's not enough commentary on the midfield, as they call it. So. It's it's hysterical. You're absolutely right. It's 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 probably one of the funnier parts of the series. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, so Drive to Survive is what got me into the F1 in the first place. Um, this first yeah. season, I watched it with some friends, and I, just, I like loved it. And then yeah. that led me to watching last season. And then obviously watching Drive to Survive season two was a lot more fulfilling uh, than the yeah, first time. Because exactly. I would actually follow the season before. Um, yeah. One thing that me and some friends noticed that we thought we could improve for the show would be 
instead of having episodes for each team, we kind of wanted it to be more chronological in the sense that right now it kind of it's all over the place. It keeps going back and mm-hmm. forth, and I feel like I've seen every race like every race three times or something. Yeah. Um, so we understand focusing on the teams, and that's definitely something that we like. Because, as you said before, there are certain people we want to see and certain people we don't want to see. Um, but we thought a more chronological approach would be a little more satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a f- yeah. No, it's definitely a fair point. I think I think we saw probably Australia a couple times was aired a couple times because of first of all, uh, Gunter Steiner, who is one of the more yeah one of more uh, crazy of the team principals. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the issue, not the, it's not the issue, because it's totally feasible, but the, the one sort of soft spot that would complicate things is that it's so random, um, like, the this, this season can be, there was, a, there was a decently long spell in 2019 where it was a fairly uneventful season, and so, I don't know, maybe you can tell me if for commercial value you want to focus on the most exciting races and you kind of keep relapsing. Do you think they could generate more value by doing something chronological? Or do you think that would be, like, value destructive but, consume, but like, uh, enhancing experience-wise? For us, it was just, like, a personal thing. We didn't really appreciate, not appreciate, we didn't love that we had to keep going back and forth between all these races that we've already seen. Right. Um, and we just generally thought it would flow better if we were going through this season rather than hopping all over the place. I mean, like, I know in the first episode alone, you hop, like, months and months into the past and future within the yeah. first, like, ten minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's and I understand, like, the the value of building up the, the teams in the off season and going through each team. But, you know, I feel like there's a better way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I Yeah, as a, as a, as a viewer, for sure. Mm. For sure. Um, because I also found myself questioning... You know what, what's the, and and there's like there were races as well like even not uneventful races that they skipped over, um, which they would have probably caught had they gone chronologically. So yeah, there's definitely merit to that point. Um, you've been to an F one race. How many times did you go to Monza? I've been so I've been to I've been to uh, Monza twice. Mm-hmm. I've been to Silverstone once, okay. and I've okay. been to Austria once. So I've been to four races overall. Do you think the show? <laughs> is an accurate representation of being at a race. Not that they necessarily do it from an audience point of view, but are there any similarities? Uh, so fortunately, every race that I've gone to, and I really do mean every race that I've gone to, has had some spectacular component to it. Either it was an upset in qualifying, or it was just a really great result, unexpected result in the race. So for example, uh, when I went uh, last year to Monza uh, to watch the Italian Grand Prix and Charles Leclerc won for mm-hmm. Ferrari, he yeah. won there for the first time in, I, I'm not going to exactly quote the number, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can tell you, uh, are you allowed to curse on this or are you... Yeah, are you, go ahead. Okay, they, they lost their fucking minds uh, <laughs> on a level I have never seen. I mean, you're talking 135,000 people singing the Italian National Anthem in one place you can't like relive that I, if i could show you videos i would uh but it's un i mean it's unbelievable and it's so special to see because you know these are pe- these aren't just young people these are people in their 60s and 70s who have been fans since you know potentially the beginning of the series back in 1950 um and they've been com- I, I know that one of my closer friends is uh 
fathers, he's been going to races since 1970s. So that's like four decades of races. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just the energy. So in that sense, when you have a race that has an outcome like that, I would argue it doesn't even do it enough justice. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it probably applies to most sports uh, documentaries. There's nothing really quite like being in the stadium or being in the arena. Yeah, um, the atmospheres in most places are crazy compared to what you can tell through a medium like you know a documentary. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I'm not even I'm not a Ferrari fan. I'm actually a Mercedes fan. So a lot of people, a lot of people probably wrote about that. Uh, I, I probably <laughs> signed my death warrant just there. Um, but when when Leclerc won, I could not help myself but cheer i mean yeah that's you if, if you respect the sport you mm. will understand the importance of that moment for him and for ferrari and i mean it deserves its round of applause uh, no questions asked we 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 uh we jumped over the fence after the race ran across the track to the podium and tried to get as close as we can to the champagne i caught a little bit of champagne in my hair um <laughs> It was just that kind of experience. Your 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 viscera takes over, and you just you just go for it. So yeah. that's what I that's what I love about Formula One. Um, I, no sport has ever done that for me quite like this has. Mm. I'll bring I'll bring the coronavirus back into it for one last yeah. time. Uh, no, no, don't worry. How do you see it going from here on out? I know they've already postponed most of the season. The next scheduled race is the Canadian Grand Prix. I think fourteenth of June. I don't I don't know if I see that happening either. I mean, so I was surprised uh, that they carried that. Well, they didn't carry on. They eventually canceled it, obviously, at the last minute. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised it took them that long to cancel. I know that there are a lot of conflict of interest at play, and there are huge, huge costs uh, to to taking a decision like that, and should be taken lightly. And I don't think it was taken lightly. So, um, I, I'm not accusing anyone of, of something like that, but. Um, given that by that point there was already tens of thousands of cases in China and it was becoming clear that that the, the calls of a pandemic were already in the air, um, I was somewhat surprised that they ended up going all the way there. Um, now, as far as how the season will play out, um, so yeah, you're right. So they, they've postponed officially to Canada now would be the start of the season. I agree. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. Um, I don't think that Formula One should feel duty-bound to restart the season. Uh, I don't think its fans expect them to, because most of its fans, I think, would recognize the, the dangers of having you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, if not, it wouldn't even be as densely packed as a stadium, but it would still be densely packed enough to, to, you know, to be a part of the transmission chain. So when do i see it coming back i i know that they've taken steps to move the summer break forwards so that mm-hmm. they can if necessary um uh fit more races into the august, uh, august september period um i think that they'll only probably restart once governments give the okay because despite formula one being a dynamic global organization they're not above uh any any yeah. government and so uh, you know, for example, Baku. Um, so at the government of Azerbaijan, they they took the unilateral decision to postpone. So what you can see is that most of these decisions aren't actually coming from Formula One themselves. They're coming from the governments of the countries who host uh, the races. Um, and so it's sort of something that Formula One has to just adapt to. Um, and, you know, if the governments, they decide that the 
that the financial loss from from canceling the race is less than the, the loss of having a you know a spore in the country then fair enough mm-hmm. um i know that they've also postponed some of the technical regulations to i think i believe it as of now it's 2022 so they originally meant to be launched next year and this was supposed to be a huge change um i think that's the that's the right move because it lowers costs they've spoken about pushing it back even further to 2023 to further reduce the cost pressures on the teams um so we'll see how that plays out i don't know i i mean i read autosport um every day so you know usually when news comes out there uh yeah i'll, I'll find out but um it doesn't look i wouldn't say it looks pretty for the 2020 season um but the good news is that i don't think there'll be many really unhappy people um if, if it doesn't go through i think it's just people understand by now yeah um all right well last thing before we go do you have any mm-hmm. uh film or television recommendations for the rest of quarantine Huh? Well, Drive to Survive Season 2, for those who haven't watched it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, so I'll say that. Um, I would say... Uh, so th- th- does it have to be new, or can it just be anything that I've, I've watched? Oh, anything. Okay. Anything you've seen, yeah. Cool. So um, I would say uh, The Crown. Netflix is The uh, Crown. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fantastic series. Really, really well produced. For anyone who kind of enjoys the monarchy kind of subject, it's amazing. Um, Narcos... Uh, that's probably one that's already popular with your viewers. I absolutely adore it. I adore everything about it. Um, the goriness, the 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 romance, um, the deception. Uh, I think Dirty Money. It's 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 more it's it's obviously uh, nonfiction, but mm. I think it's a good primer on current affairs, uh, especially you know in the world we live in today. Uh, and I think. And the Big Short, I don't know why. It's one. It's one of my favorite movies. I, I I love it. So I'm gonna throw it in there too. Yeah. Anyway, Jai, thank you very much for having me. This is no. Been thank you for coming a on. This has been good. Honestly, you can see me smiling. I if you, you can't, yeah. Anyway, yeah, stay safe out there. Thank you very much. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Send my best to your family, to your sister, your parents too. Um, yeah, you yeah. too. Your parents. All right. I'll see you sometime soon. I'll see you soon, too. All right. Thank you for listening. See you soon, guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.